Hi, and welcome to another episode of the By Your Side podcast. My name is Michelle May, and I am the principal of Michelle May Buyers Agents here in Sydney. Now, as you may well know, if you've listened to a few episodes here and there, I am always hammering on about doing your due diligence, and that includes getting your own building and pest inspection. To delve in that a little bit further, I've invited Daniel Leahy, who is a building inspector at Dwelve Properties Inspections, and we work with Daniel quite a lot to make sure that the houses that we do um, look into for our clients are worth buying. So, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Morning. I've got a few questions for you that will help the listeners understand a bit better why I always go on about uh, making sure that you do get your own independent building and pest inspection. But I first wanted to ask you, how did your journey go from you know, where you were before to becoming a building and pest inspector. And are there any minimum requirements to become one? That's a really good question. New South Wales is its kind of own beast within Australia, and it might surprise and terrify people to learn that there are no formal requirements to be a building and pest inspector in New South Wales. So basically... Really? Yeah. I've come from a background as a carpenter. I moved through into doing um, my builder's certificate naturally just through the course of my career I gravitated towards inspecting I had roles as finishing foreman handing over properties that sort of took me into the insurance industry where I did some contract assessing during storms and you know not not every builder sort of would go down that avenue it's not appealing to a lot of people I know friends that are builders that have no interest in (laughs) inspecting and reporting and those sorts of things. So I, I found it was quite a niche sort of part of learning everything there is to know about building a house and then applying that at the other end of the scale as opposed to actually building. So I did build for years, but yeah, the course of my career just took me down an inspecting route where, you know, I started looking into building and pest inspections after doing insurance assessments, um, yeah. did some courses with master builders. Again, there are no formal requirements or formal education. So when you're looking wow, at a building, that blows my mind. When you're looking at a building inspector, it's really important to find out about their past and about their career and and what they've learned. For mine, if you didn't do as an apprenticeship as a carpenter in New South Wales, every state has their own set of building requirements and different building standards. So if you didn't learn to build a house yeah. in New South Wales, in my opinion, you have no business looking at a house that's been built in New South Wales for a client. Yeah. Because it's, it's amazing to me, um, obviously, more and more, it be, it's become a phenom- phenomenon, phenomenon. <laughs> it's a hard word to say, <laughs> um, that most vendors or, you know, agents will supply a, a heavily uh, discounted report or even free reports. And quite often they come from those, you know, those franchises, you know, I, I won't name any names, but they're mm-hmm. basically a tick the box report that's usually no longer than say 15 pages. So you're telling me that literally I could become one of those franchisees and set myself up as a building and pest inspector having no experience whatsoever. Absolutely. Do the report and and there you go. Yeah, I can't speak for the franchises as to what background checks they do for the guys that buy franchises, but yeah. at the end of the day, they offer purchasing a franchise and training. Yeah. Again on the wow. the, the topic of education. Being a builder, people think that the builder's course teaches you about building, which is another misconception. The the Cert 4 in building okay. and construction is basically a course on how to run a construction company. It's more a business management course. So 
The only really way that the industry is regulated is by the builder's professional indemnity insurance. You cannot get that insurance unless you have a cert for in building and have done the necessary timber pest modules and statement of attainments. So yeah, right. And how so, long would it take in general to get a, to get that certification? Then I mean, the is, it, is it a course you can do over is, a week? Again, you don't have to have a background in carpentry or anything to do the builder's course. Mm. You know that can be obtained in as little as six months um, with some recognition of prior learning, which doesn't necessarily relate to carpentry. It can relate to being in any other like trade, like an electrician or a bricklayer. So a lot of guys doing building and pest inspections have never actually built a house as a builder. Yeah. And as I mentioned, yeah, the insurance is unfortunately the only thing regulating the industry in New South Wales at the moment. Which is which is pretty scary. That is that, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really surprised by that. A lot of people that have done their research call me, and they've obviously, through their own research, have become wary of this. And they are the people that ask me those questions about what's my work history, and they're like, "Sorry, they feel awkward." Mm. And I'm like, "No, that's fantastic. You're asking because, yeah. as I mentioned, if you haven't grown up building houses in New South Wales, is, is that the person you want yeah. looking at the house you're buying and telling you whether it's adequate? Well, absolutely. I think, I mean, it's it's very similar in the, in some respects to in my industry where it's quite easy to set yourself up as a buyer's agent. And mm-hmm. I think that there's particularly what I'm seeing recently in the last couple of years, there are some that talk the talk, but really they they have no experience whatsoever. I doubt they'd even bought for themselves or for other, you know, prior to setting themselves up and, and calling themselves an expert. And I wonder, you know, that what kind of advice they're really giving them. I mean, based on the kind of properties they're buying for their clients and what they're paying for them, they're, they're clearly not very good. But as a buyer, how would you know that without asking the relevant questions prior to engaging them, right? I, lo- I work with a lot of buyer's agents, obviously, obviously as well. And I see, I see the difference in the way that they operate, the way that they do things. And exactly what you said, the price that people are paying for things. And um, at the end of it, you're thinking, are you really doing this person a service? In what you've done, you've essentially overpaid to, you know, obtain your commission at the end. And a lot of that is similar in building and pest inspections as well. Guys will go through exactly like you said, do the absolute minimum requirements, fill out the check boxes, and at the end of the day, leave you with a lot of open-ended questions and potentially in a more confusing situation. Whereas I endeavour to stick my neck out a little bit more as part of my reports to be a bit more decisive and direct in my advice, which is risky in a sense if other building inspectors are listening to this, but that comes from confidence in my abilities and my experience as a carpenter and as a builder. Yeah. You certainly helped us out very recently, uh, less than a month ago, on a house in Leichhardt in the inner west where you know we there was a little bit of time pressure there because it was a, a private treaty. So you know, it was a, pri- a sale where first in best dressed, whoever made an acceptable offer was going to get it across the line. But, you know, we insisted on, on getting you through and and lo and behold, there were some very expensive things there that, you know, would have to be rectified in the future and, and a lot of unknowns too, right? Ended up us walking away and, and that house did sell for more than $2.3 million, I believe. I doubt very much that those people got that independent uh, advice. The agents did have the, yeah, the franchise report available and no yeah. doubt with yeah. a lot of these inner city places, all they're filled with uh, access limitations and potentials. In this instance, it's never my prerogative starting a job to make people walk away from a house. And that's 
why agents don't really like us. They think that that's all we're doing. Like if a client's engaged me, they want to buy this property and I just want to help them understand the property as thoroughly as possible. If my findings don't align with what they're looking for, then that should be the way that these things work. Now the agents are steering things in a way to make the property look as desirable as possible and yeah, potentially get someone on the hook. And that's that specific property had some extensive termite damage. You know, sometimes mm. we find termite damage and it's at a at a sort of reasonable level, but that had some pretty major termite issues and with the construction type, the risk of further concealed damages was huge. So yeah, like yeah. I said, it's never the goal yeah, to, to make people walk away. They're people that have fallen in love with this house and they've got to the point of, of engaging me as the last um, point of call. So it's it's hard to tell people. It's only happened a few times where, where people have actually 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 walked away at the end because, like I said, my goal is generally to help people mm. understand the house more than give them a yes or no. But I think for most buyers, you know, they simply don't know what they don't know. It's like when we start our due diligence process, they're like, oh, I never knew that this was important. You know, we look at things like infrastructure projects, but also zoning. You know, they didn't mm. know that next door was R3 zoned and potentially Meriton was going to come in and, you know, somebody was land banking in the hope that, you know, NOS Council is going to change the zoning, which, you know, the way things are going where they want more density closer to the city, it's quite likely that in the next uh, number of years, you're going to have a massive development next door. Mm. If, if you never thought to ask those questions, then, you, you know, you might go ahead on something that might really change the course of your enjoyment of living there and, and let alone, the, you know, the value of the property as well. And given how expensive properties are in Sydney, it's sometimes, you know, uh, a mistake or an oversight that is going to take a long time to recover from, right? Um, there are huge mistakes so, in relation to to timing, and it's probably <laughs> an unfortunate product of the Sydney market. But mm. I saw a stat the other day, I forget where I read it, that people spend more time shopping for a car than choosing a house. Mm. And it shocked me mm. until I actually thought yes. about my experience buying houses. And even as someone semi in the industry, definitely I spend more time and and I'm educated in the industry. So unfortunately, it is a yeah. product of the Sydney market. And it's so important to take the time and learn these things and, and do this research. And if you don't have time to do these things, you're, you're making the biggest purchase of your life, you know, engage someone who has the time to do it. You kind of answered my question. My second question already is like, what's the biggest oversight or mistake that buyers make when it comes to buying properties so well, you're go. saying they're not naturally. taking enough time <laughs> Absolutely. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. rush it's, i never... think it's also it's i think also you know they know uh in a lot of cases it's a four-week auction campaign there's always competition in a private treaty sense there's you know even more pressure in a way because you need to beat others before they start you know the bidding process so and I, I sometimes have to pull pull buyers back as well. They go, oh, we'll just go with the report that's been provided. I'm like, no, no, no. There's always time yeah, to get an report prior. Not, yeah. If you've absolutely. been looking, mm. you should know the minute a property comes on the market, whether you're going to pursue it or not. You should have a rough idea of what it's going to sell for if you've done the research in the area. And you'd have no idea mm -hmm. the amount of people that call me on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning asking me to do an inspection before the auction tomorrow. And I, really? I, it makes me cringe because I'm like, even if I get you this report, you're not going to have enough time to digest it, to go back and have another look at the house and, and sort of put the findings mm -hmm. in, into perspective in person. And, and it shocks me. But yeah, as I said, it's an unfortunate sort of situation related probably to the Sydney market more specifically than other areas. Um, you know, everything does yeah. go to auction 
some you don't want to get emotionally attached to something that will potentially be out of reach by the auction date. You know, price guides, uh, you know, all over the place as far as <laughs> as far as, as Sydney is concerned. That's and, putting and, it diplomatically. <laughs> yeah, that's another mistake, I guess. People sort of share their budget with me and then say, for example, you know, we're approved for 1.5 and we're looking at this property. The agents put a price guide of 1.45 on it. And in my gut, mm. <laughs> I know they're not going to get that property. And yeah. I don't like seeing people waste their money on the building and pest inspection if they en- end up out of the race. And that comes sort of a little bit down to the ethics of the agent involved, the way that they steer people in. But I've, I've definitely been in that situation a number of times as well, where I had an agent sell a property before I'd even had the chance to get the report back to the client. So he, he showed me through the property. And oh. then by that afternoon, the lady called me and she said, sorry, don't worry about writing the report. The property's gone. And he knew her price guide, wow. he knew everything. And I hate to see people, you know, waste their money on me. Mm-hmm. This service isn't a waste of money when, when done adequately. But yeah, unfortunately, yeah. The, the way people are treated by agents is so inconsistent that they don't know where they stand with a lot of properties. And as I mentioned before, if yeah. you don't have time to be looking at properties, you know, every day, every evening, knowing when they come on and knowing what you're going to pursue, mm. you know, you shouldn't be doing the job for yourself. I understand to afford property in Sydney, a lot of people are very busy and yeah. have to be working full-time jobs. But yeah, that is a huge mistake is just not spending the time and doing the diligence. Yeah. I also find that when people come to to, to us, they've most likely been looking for at least six months to a year, even if not longer. And they have potentially already spent, uh, you know, a couple of thousands of dollars on several reports and missed out every time. So they're Mm -hmm. kind of bruised and over it. And and then when I insist on getting a BMP, they're like, well, I don't really want to spend it unless I know I'm going to get it. But I'm like, well, the 500 bucks that you spend is, yes, it's a gamble. However, we're now in a position where we know that you're going to be in the running to buy it because, you know, say, you know, you're a person with the $1.5 million budget. We're not looking at properties that have a guide of 145. No way. You know, we always go, well, no, no more than 1213. Absolutely. Um, and, and also look at the sold section, you know, like look at the sold section of domain and real estate. Look at what's sold under the 1.5. And that gives you the idea of what kind of property you should be looking for. Yeah. instead of trying to fit what it is you want within your budget because yeah. that doesn't work you know no. <laughs> people come to me and say well that i need a three better well that's great but the fact of the matter is the market doesn't care about what you need you know the market no. is the market and and if two bedroom houses are going for 1.5 you're not going to get a three better for 1.5 no. you know no. and that's what um, i mean it is tempting to push that price guide up and look at more desirable properties mm, online but you're just teasing yourself sure. at the end of the day you got to be a bit more realistic. Absolutely, and- it's it's just you know, all, I mean, all agents are different, but but by and large, you know, the the quoted low, watch it go, is definitely the f- philosophy within the industry. You know, because there are agents out there who do quote correctly, and you do, I do find that they're not the biggest agents out there. Mm. You know, the biggest agents are the ones that just you know keep going, keep going, and quote low. And 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 the funny thing is, is that when the buyers, when it comes to selling time. You know, they want those agents to sell for them because they want all those buyers to come to the auction. So yeah. it's it's a tricky situation. Having bought and sold yeah. properties in the West over a couple of years, it's it's so interesting to see the agents' processes at the you know, at the selling side and at the the purchasing side. And 
agents yeah. I work with every day. <laughs> I'm looking at, at properties on behalf of my clients, the different face that they put on when, when you're coming in as a buyer. So yeah, seeing their processes at each end, there's no way that they don't know exactly where that property is going to land and the vendor's expectations. All of those conversations have been had. No. Would I be... No, and that's a real bugbear of mine, actually, with uh, the Office of Fair Trading. You know, there was recently the Four Corners report, and they were saying, oh, it's really hard to prove, you know, that agents are underquoting. And I was literally screaming at the, you know, the screen going, come into my office. I will show you the comparable sales. I will yeah, tell you exactly absolutely. what mm. the price range for that property is. And that mm. that price yeah. guide is nonsense, you know. But even when they do, you know, catch an agent, the fines are like two grand. Like that's that's yeah, just that's nothing in the scope of their considering how much money is involved. No, it's it's the cost of doing business to them, you know. Um, yeah. And it's 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 in my opinion a joke. Over the last few years, there have been some definite surprises to everyone, and some some things that shouldn't happen. But you know, as I said, if you've been looking religiously, or for someone like you that's been looking for years consistently, you see some price guides and yeah. some things that come up and you just laugh at them. But unfortunately, it does get people on the hook yeah. and and wastes another yeah. month of their time, wastes potentially yeah. another building and pest inspection. Like I said, I hate, I hate having to charge people when they don't even end up in the race. If they end up in the race and they don't get there, that's fine. I think my record's six with a client. And at that point, you are just starting oh, really? to feel guilty. But this client in particular, was had absolutely no problem. They're like, there's no way we are risking the report that the agents laid out on the table for us. We don't mind the expense to go in with absolute clarity. And these guys had a, a healthy budget and were looking for yeah. nice properties that they didn't want to have to spend any money on. At the other end of the scale, yeah, yeah I've had people shopping for bottom-end properties that you know they're planning on for the future and they don't want to have to put a cent into it. So... Yeah, the building and pest inspection for them is really important because a lot of people in the current market yeah. are absolutely tapping out. They're tapping themselves to their absolute max and any unforeseen costs yeah. after purchasing uh, are going to put them in real strife apart from all the other pressures yeah. we're dealing with as far as cost of yeah. living at the moment. What's also really hard is when, uh, and that's what I really like about you and working with you and, and my clients certainly appreciate it as well. They, they tell me after speaking with you as well that, I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect property, right? That That's no a fallacy. Every no. property will probably have something that needs something. But it's then uh, giving context and sort of reassurance about how much is it going to cost to rectify this. And that's such an unknown quantity, uh, particularly you know, since COVID and, and everything, you know, the cost of living, et cetera, everything's gone up that, you know, it's, it's you know, how long is a piece of string really? You know, you know, the house has got damp, but what does it? what's it going to take to fix it and how much is it going to cost it? I find that when I speak to other building and pest inspectors, it's, you know, I have done in the past, they're very hesitant to to give any kind of reassurance. And, and I feel that that's kind of lacking as well in many ways. And I really appreciate you talking, you know, once they've received the report that you are open to discussing things with them to say, okay, well, yes, it's there, but it's not a big deal or, or this is these are the, your options. Because, you know, yes, like you said, you know, people stretching themselves so much already to purchase, they then, you know, they need money to fix those things as well. Yeah, it's exactly what you said, that there's no such thing as a perfect property. And that doesn't mean that, 
you know, every house is a lemon. It's what I stemmed on before about understanding <laughs> the property. And that's a point of difference that I really pride myself on and, and being independent and having the time to do that. I started out as a building and mm-hmm. pest inspector with one of the national companies a few years ago. And um, mm-hmm. to be honest, I didn't have the time to have these conversations with people. And the way that they were managing my calendar um, the way I was getting thrown around, the, the zero time I had in between inspections, I, I didn't have time to field those phone calls mm. and they're conversations I wanted to have with people. Mm. So I found the opportunity yeah. to go out on my own and I don't overbook myself. I don't overbook my days. I leave myself time because in my mind, the conversation is more valuable than the report. The report has to happen. And of course, we there is an element I can understand with those inspectors that are hesitant and, and need to protect themselves. But for mine, that predominantly comes from a lack of industry experience where they don't quite know the answer comprehensively enough to stick their neck out. People are, can be pretty savage with us at the, at, at the finish line and at the handover stage if, if they you know experience something in the home that they haven't understood or that they didn't pick up in the report. They definitely try to hold you accountable if well, they definitely plan yeah. to hold you accountable if if there is a problem after moving in, and and so they should. Like they're they're trusting mm. us to make a very very important decision. But like mm. I said, it's more about trying to understand the property. There's no such thing as a perfect property. So obviously, I always recommend getting one prior to purchase. Do you have a recommendation of how often you should repeat that process? Is is once enough? Like, can you go off that report indefinitely, or do you have an ideal timing with that? The reports as far as offering them to purchasers have a validity of 30 days. So if they were written um, within 30 days, they're deemed as valid. If they're written 30 days ago, then conditions are deemed to have changed. If we're talking about a post sense of moving into the property, the Australian Standards for Timber Pest Inspection states every 12 months you should do a, a visual timber pest inspection. Yeah. This sort of advice will be contained within the report because those things can change depending on the risk yeah. category of the property with termites. If it is deemed a very risky property, um, we might pull the annual inspections into six or even three months if it's in an area surrounded by bush or high risk. And in a sense where there are areas of risk and concealed Areas that can't be accessed and can't be visually inspected adequately enough, they're the properties we would recommend if they don't already have a termite treatment installed by a pest manager to, you know, investigate having yeah. that done. What I find interesting is that the the most people's approach to their property is to not really do anything until it's a problem. So when, you know, you've got water cascading down your, your kitchen uh, wall, it's like, oh, I might have a, an issue with my roof. Whereas, and, and of course, it's much more satisfying to spend money on a new kitchen, you know, or a new bathroom because, yeah. you know, you use it every day and it looks good and you add mm, value. I but I things. always say to my clients, look, when you purchase, Daniel's report is only the starting point. Look at those things and preemptively, you know, get those things fixed. I mean, I, there's so many properties that come through and there's no, there's no active termite treatment in place, you know, and yeah. at the rate that, you know, Australian properties get hit with termites. I think that's like the bare bones. So yeah. I always say, you know, the, the health of the property is very much dependent on the subfloor and what's happening in the roof. So oh. you, you've, you've got to allocate, you know, a budget to keeping those, you know, the top and bottom in good conditions. Otherwise, really, you know, like you said, with that house that we saw, you know, termites could have a go at it. And it doesn't matter if it's got a nice kitchen or not, it's falling down around you. Absolutely. Yeah, the roof is one of the most important 
parts of a house. And that's what I say to people often when I'm when the vendor's home, when was the last time you did some roof maintenance? And they're like, Oh well, yeah. What do you what do you mean by that? <laughs> and I, I say yeah. houses houses are like cars. <laughs> they need servicing. They need people having a, a check yeah. over. So I've definitely had people that have lived in a house for a, a number of years and they said I'd just like someone to come and have a look over it. It hasn't been done for a long time and you know, they've finally yeah. thought about doing some maintenance, but it's exactly the same as a car. Houses aren't just a set and forget. They need constant constant care and constant love and constant maintenance. On the topic of the roof external, another there's obviously access limitations related to what we can do, um, which are clearly outlined in the report. A lot of inspectors lean on those accessibility requirements Mm. to avoid going into areas, and that is one of the main problems with the reports that a lot of the agents are using. I know with that property particularly, we keep talking about the one in Leichhardt, there was a subfloor access um, that was concealed by a desk in a bedroom, I've mm. got no doubt in my head that another building and pest inspector would have walked in, taken a photo of that and said no subfloor access mm. where we discovered some pretty yeah. heavy termite damage. And that goes for moving furniture. It goes for the size of openings, the size of manholes. And I'll really endeavor to get into places where other guys don't. And the roof external, which is such an important part of the home, the access requirements state that the no on-roof access is required that it is just a ladder to gutter scenario where you can throw an yeah. eye over from available areas of gutter that's reachable by a 3.6 meter ladder. And if we're talking about inner city properties, that's pretty much zero property. So a lot of guys yeah. will have the roof external as an area that they couldn't access. And for mine, I will do my best. And that comes from, I'm of no obligation to do it, but that comes from being actively building and being working on construction sites and working at heights regularly and confidently and they're decisions that I can choose to make if I feel that the access is possible and that it is still safe for me of course but some of those roofs Mm. are definitely definitely being overlooked. Mm. I think and this once again this is why I like working with independent people um, such as yourself as a building and pension inspector but also uh, for example the property manager managers that I recommend my investor clients to as well they are all owner operators so they own their own shop and they all consistently like yourself go that extra mile for the client because you can really count on them to do to do the best thing possible so do you recommend then if that's the case then you know if there was some limited accessibility and the the client does end up purchasing to do a post-purchase report where you will then you know maybe get an extra hole in the subfloor on those areas that it wasn't possible before do you do those kinds of inspections as well do you get called in for that type of stuff absolutely i don't do the actual altering mm. of the property i don't have time yeah <laughs> but i definitely recommend some trades <laughs> that can help them achieve what we need and and get that access but yeah. i say to people you know if you do get one of those desktop reports don't even look at the defect section initially go straight to the accessibility section and see where the inspector got Go back to the property and mm. take a look and see if you th- if those see if you think those things are possible because again it comes down mm. to time. I know what what the calendars look like when you're working for someone else. I know the overheads that <laughs> are being paid and what the inspector is actually being paid. So what he has to output in a day to make money. So you see yeah. all the little increments of the processes that at the end of the day cut down into the time spent on the property and and with your client to help them understand. So 
you know, sometimes, especially in a city, the, the access is genuine. You know, these inner city properties do definitely present some access limitations. They're being absolutely maximised from boundary mm. to boundary and with ground clearance and, you know, building out attics and things like that. So sometimes it's legitimate, but yeah, there's definitely instances where guys yeah. are leaning on it and there is mm. definitely scope to improve all of those accessibility things in the future. I have to thank them for this <laughs> system that they've created. Because the amount of work that it generates for me, double checking these reports and cross checking them, or, you know, people, <laughs> the amount of people that have gone in unconfidently and, and won the auction and then yeah. brought me in afterwards, a little bit terrified because mm. they've noticed a few things and to, to help them yeah. understand the property a bit more comprehensively. Mm. So I run this mm. system as well. That's- I work with, I work with a good group of trusted agents. I think that's how we met initially was you downloaded Mm. one of my reports that was available i've deliberately maintained separation from you know the the big companies that are doing it in australia um and i just do it independently because it's a great system and it is hard charging people you know five or six hundred dollars every time they're looking at a house and being unsuccessful so i feel like the process is good but like everything in sydney property it has evolved into a system that is again you know, misleading buyers a little bit in some instances. Mm. That's the whole purpose of this podcast, you know, to, mm. to help buyers understand the risks and to make smarter property selections up front and then go, okay, this property has got legs. Now let's investigate it further and then get someone like you involved in the, in the process. Now, one thing that always gets asked of me is, um, you know, when, when we do get a report uh, and there is limited accessibility, my clients will often ask, well, can we ask them to to get a hole created in the floor or get access to the attic? You know, can we ask the vendors, will they put a put a hole in uh, so that we can have a look? My answer is a resounding no. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a vendor <laughs> um, agree to Have it. you ever come across that, that I've the never, vendor will allow further access? No, I've never seen it done. I think, no. I think there was one instance where um, a vendor was able to uncover a manhole for the roof space that was concealed within a cupboard, which just meant meant for them emptying the cupboard and moving the shelves and a a re-inspection. But resoundingly, no, vendors are at a point where all they're going to do is potentially uncover a problem more than a potential problem. So, you know, if you get a vendor at the start, they may be forthcoming and they may think, okay, this is reasonable. But when the auction's coming this Saturday... Uh, the resounding answer for most things, probably on your end, contract amendments, everything, people trying yeah. to make offers two days away from auction, the resounding answer with yeah. anything when you've left yourself no time is no. Mm, absolutely. And I don't think, I mean, my advice would be if you don't have the time, don't then don't go for it. You know, absolutely. It, I think it's too big a risk to, you know, we're talking millions of dollars. Uh, and even if it's, you know, less than a million, it doesn't matter. It's so much money. And if you don't have the time or the money to invest five, $600 into a building and pest, then you probably shouldn't be buying it in the first place. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me. I've learned a lot uh, in this half hour. <laughs> some, some scary um, facts, no doubt. I know. I just, uh, yeah, my, I'm flabbergasted at the fact that they don't actually need any qualifications. But mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we work together. And uh, if people want to reach out to you uh, after hearing this episode, can you tell us where to best to contact you? Absolutely. Yeah, you can search me on Google uh, for 12 property inspections. You'll find me located in the inner west. I cover the greater Sydney. 
a lot of work is in a west eastern suburbs based but i regularly travel to the central coast western sydney north northern beaches north shore um so i don't get bound by by location but you can find the website at www.dwellproperty.com.au that's great yeah (laughs) any other and your phone do you want to give us your phone number in case people want to jot that down yeah absolutely or phone on zero four six eight Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate you coming on. uh, And I hope you found this episode helpful. If you have any questions for Daniel or myself, you can always contact me on hello at byyourside.com.au. Until next time.